You are listening to the Passion City Church podcast. To learn more about Passion City Church, including our gathering times in Atlanta and Washington, D.C., visit us online at passioncitychurch.com. So I'm super excited to share with you something uh, that I think could be the title of this message, and that is that God wants to save us from a small life. I really believe that there's something in all of us that is a desire to hem in our own little world and be in control of our life. But I want us to read a few verses from Proverbs, Proverbs 11, 24 to 26, and then we're going to really focus on verse 24. When I think of Proverbs and the overall wisdom from the book, I always go back to the idea that as its foundation, it's all about the fear of God the submission to, the surrender to, the will of God, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. You know, these last weeks we've been talking a lot about thinking differently, living differently than the world, not gratifying the desires of the flesh, walking controlled by the Spirit, the fact that by the Spirit inside us we actually have the mind of Christ. The verse I want to focus on, like I said, is Proverbs 11:24. but I'm going to read these three verses and make one observation about verses 25 and 26, and then we'll dive in to verse 24. Here's what Scripture says. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. People curse the one who hoards grain, but they pray God's blessing on the one who is willing to sell. You know, as you listen to that and as we read it, it's amazing to me to think that verses 25 and 26 tell us that we will be refreshed as we help others and that people will actually pray for us to be blessed as we help others. Those things right there would be enough for me to think that we would all desire to be generous and be givers. If those are benefits of giving that I will be refreshed and that people will actually pray for me to be blessed, Why not be a giver? Makes all the sense in the world. Don't you want to be refreshed? Don't you want people praying for you to be blessed? But I want us to talk about verse 24. I think there's another benefit to generosity. I think there's another benefit to being a giver. And it's this notion that as we give our lives away, God makes our world larger. God makes our world bigger. God brings an excitement into and a joy into our world. You can read verse 24 in a few different translations. I'm going to repeat the first one that I read. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. Then there's a translation that reads this way. There's the one who generously scatters abroad, and yet increases all the more. And there's the one who withholds what is justly due, but it only results in want and poverty. Here's one more. One shares liberally and yet gains even more, while another hoards more than is right and still has need. As we focus on this verse, I've been studying it a lot and taking a look at the original language, and I feel like over and again, regardless of translation, we see this idea of one who scatters, one who throws out with a purpose, one who scatters and increases more yet, contrasted with this idea One withholds more than is right, but it leads to want and lack and need, poverty. Along that line of thinking, 
I want to throw one more translation at you, and I really would like for us to consider this one as we spend time together. The Scripture says, the world of the generous gets larger and larger, the world of the stingy smaller and smaller. Well, what Susan and I have learned in our lives is nothing could be more true. Our understanding this goes back a good ways in our lives. We just celebrated our 28th anniversary, and if you know… If you know Susan, she's one long-suffering woman. (laughs) There's another scripture, though, that says a woman of grace is rightly honored. Well, she deserves lots of honor because she's very gracious. I've gotten 28 years of grace. But getting back to our core idea here, we really started wrestling with this idea of generosity and giving as a result of me having the privilege of enjoying playing in the NFL. 13 years, five teams, lots of really hard work, some of the hardest work I've ever done, but clearly a huge adventure and lots of fun and lots of privilege. Thankfully, really only one rough year in there. About halfway through my career, though, God started to do something inside us. Have you ever heard of people talking about a defining moment in their faith? Well, we had a divining moment in our faith. We were convicted by God that we had not really been giving. We'd been doing what I would call now tipping God. What do you think I mean by that? Well, let me tell you. We'd been writing checks that were big enough that when ministries would receive them, they would say, thank you for your generosity. But because we were making really good money, that is par for the course with a pro athlete, it wasn't that hard to write most of those checks. I imagine that there are some of you in here who can relate to this. I don't think it's unique to pro sports. I think it happens in other vocations. I think I want to make this point because I think it's important we understand that just because we write a big check, it doesn't mean we're generous. And just because we write a check that is in the world's eyes small, it doesn't mean that we're not generous or that we're stingy. Candidly, some of the most generous people I know don't have much money. And some of the stingiest people I know have tons of money. I think it's important that we understand that God measures generosity different than the world. And when we look in the Scripture, we see a widow who gave two mites commended for her generosity. She's the one who's lifted up as being generous. And it says she gave out of what she didn't have. I also think it's important as we talk about that that we understand that just because you decide to be generous and to be a giver doesn't mean life will, as my dad always used to say, be a bowl full of cherries. Clearly, the widow had plenty of challenge in her life. As we wrestled with this as a couple, we were starting to realize that God was trying to teach us something that's very, very, very counterintuitive, that as you give with God, God always returns way more than you gave. You can't outgive God. And the gospel, in essence, is generosity. God was helping us understand that the cross is the best picture of generosity we will ever see. Thinking about that for a second, God gave everything, right? His only son, Aren't we glad, those of us who believe, that Jesus didn't only give 10% of his blood? Think about that for a second. 
and to think that the privilege of our lives is we get to offer back to God what He's given us first, our very lives, breath, everything. Our giving ought to reflect our understanding of the gospel, and we were really, really, really wrestling with this. So with this standard in mind, we were convicted that we'd just been tipping God, not giving in such a way that we had giving reflect our understanding of the generosity, the stunning generosity of our God. But God's kind, isn't He? He's gracious. He's patient. He's gentle. He's a gentle Father. And His Holy Spirit began working on us in such a way that we began to become more and more intentional about giving. So you might be saying, how does this apply to me? How does this relate to today? Well, I'm going to unpack it a bit more, and I think it'll connect the dots for you. I kept playing a few more years, and as I was getting to the place of retiring, I noticed that people would come up to me all the time, and they would say the same basic thing to me. They would acknowledge and affirm that the 13 years had been amazing and so rewarding and such an adventure and so much fun, but then they would always say something like this, and you know there's nowhere to go but down. And I was like, wait, my God doesn't say that. My God, that isn't what Scripture says. It was like everything they were saying flew in the face of what God had started teaching us, that with God, He's got a future in mind for us all the time. He's got a plan for our lives that is going to be just as rewarding tomorrow and just as adventurous tomorrow as it was yesterday, that God is always working, and He's inviting us into this great adventure called life. Everything that was being said to us as we talked about it and, and had conversation around it and considered the questions and comments didn't sit right with us. We were convinced, we were convinced that we better understood God as we had been intentional about giving who He is, who He's created us to be, and that He's got a plan for our lives, and He's inviting all of us to be used by Him to advance His kingdom and to literally change the world. We were absolutely convinced we wanted to go on this great adventure with God. What we were learning was He does have a future in mind for us, and it will be just as purposeful and just as joy-filled and just as rewarding and just as exciting as those, those 13 years had been, albeit different. We were convinced that with God, life is a lot more about taking ground than it is hunkering down. So as we gave more, it became clearer and clearer to us that God wanted to show us more. Our world was kind of getting larger, you might say. Remember the Scripture. It says the world of the generous, the one who gives their life away, it gets larger and larger. You know, both Susan and I had been following God for a number of years before all this, and we knew a lot about how Jesus had chosen to live when He walked on this earth, and that those of us who follow Him, He wants us to walk in His ways. We'd seen in Matthew 20 that Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve. We'd read in Isaiah 61 that He came to heal the lame and bring sight to the blind and bring release to the prisoner and freedom to the captive. We knew because of Ephesians 5 we were to imitate God in Christ. We knew that as we were trying to figure out what it would look like for us to imitate God that we probably wouldn't be healing people. That wasn't a spiritual gift, it seemed, He had given either of us. But we were 100% convinced that we were supposed to care for those less, less fortunate than us, especially the marginalized and the oppressed, and that we were supposed to lay our lives down to lift other people up. 
We'd seen in Luke 17, Scripture that says, he who seeks to save his life will lose it. But the one who's willing to spend his life or give his life, you could say, is the one who finds life. We were in this season of life where all these things were really influencing how we wanted to live. We wanted to live differently than before we had learned and realized these things. To add fuel to the fire, over time we'd wrestled with the Scripture in Acts 20 that says it's more blessed to give than receive. And the Scripture that says there's no greater privilege for a man than that he would lay down his life for his brother. God was teaching us these very powerful things, and we were really growing in our faith. But so much of what we are learning seemed counterintuitive. Like, is it really more blessed to give than receive? We were wrestling with that. Is it? We like receiving stuff. We like getting stuff. Most of these ideas that we were being changed by are a stark contrast to the world's ways. For example, in many ways, it felt like most of my career, all we saw was my teammates, their families, their advisors, their agents, all trying to help them build a fortress for life so that they'd have all the comfort and security they could possibly create to keep bad stuff out of their lives and away from them. A constant effort to hunker down, to retrench, to just make sure they were in control of their lives. But that felt so off to us. Thankfully, Scripture also teaches us we're made for community. That's one of the reasons we love this house is because we are a huge family doing life together. And it was so encouraging for us that there were a couple guys on my team and their wives, a couple other guys in the NFL on other teams and their wives, and then a few of you right here before Passion City Church was a church. And we had all committed to do life, to walk together. We felt a little bit, I think, like salmon swimming upstream against the prevailing current. We were observing this lookout for number one, self-absorbed, self-centered way of culture, but we knew God had created us to serve Him and to serve others, and we wanted to have impact in this world for His glory with the stuff He'd given us. So we were trying to walk by faith and really trust Him. A couple of these lifelong buddies you see on the screen here. Most of what we saw in the world and that was magnified in my NFL career was this look out for number one way of thinking, very self-centered, very self-absorbed, in many ways built on fear. Our friend Tim Keller says this, money flows effortlessly to that which is its God. Church, if comfort and security are your God, then that's where your money is going to go. But what we were realizing was a life that's obsessed with personal comfort and security leads to a small life. It's a joyless, peaceless, all-consuming, worrisome way of living. Now, in all transparency, before God convicted Susan and me and we had this defining moment, we were dead set on fulfilling the American dream. Before God established my NFL career, we'd both been accepted to law school. And we were going to get on the proverbial hamster wheel and churn away. We were going to go to law school and eat beanie weenies for three years and grind it out and hope that we got jobs with prestigious law firms, give them 100 hours a week, and hope and pray that we could make partners so that we could make a ton of money and have a pile of money and retire when we wanted. Are there any recovering attorneys here? <laughs> but what we were realizing 
and was amplified in those early days of my NFL career, like I said, is a life that's focused on you. A life that's focused on personal comfort and security leads to a really small life. We were realizing when you live for building God's kingdom, when you live for His glory, your life gets bigger, your world gets bigger. It's not all about you. You live into a bigger purpose. There's a peace that surpasses understanding when you walk with and trust God. You know God is bigger than and He's sovereign over your circumstances. You have a joy that you can't even really describe. You learn He's a God of abundance. You put your confidence more and more in Him instead of being deceived into thinking that you can build this impenetrable fortress to keep out life's hardships. You know, I've been thinking a lot about this these last days, as you can imagine, and it's mystifying to me that we work so hard to build that fortress to keep out life's hardships and create comfort and security for our lives. And yet God tells us in Scripture explicitly He is our rock, our fortress, our Savior. That's Psalm 18 and other places. In other places in His Word, we read that He's our strong tower, our refuge, our strength, and our ever-present help in trouble. We were learning that when you live to give your life away, God meets your needs. Now, here's a little nugget for you. There is no impenetrable fortress you can build. As soon as you think you have it, God will give you something to show you that you ultimately need to depend on Him. One of my old chaplains used to say it this way, if you think money will solve all your problems, God will let you have a problem money won't solve. And so we were committed to walking by faith and trusting God and really going for it. Now, as an aside, our small group realized very quickly it's impossible to live this way without being surrendered to and controlled by the Holy Spirit. There's there's too much allure in the world. The temptation is too real to go after the world. You know, we heard our dear friend and my colleague on the Passion Board, Crawford Loritz, a few weeks ago preach on the power we have with the Holy Spirit inside us. And Pastor Louis has given a few messages recently all about the way the Spirit transforms the way we think. He transforms us by the renewing of our minds so that we actually think like Jesus. Remember, he who has Christ has the Spirit, and the Holy Spirit empowers us miraculously to have the mind of Christ, to live beyond ourselves, to put others' interests before our own, to spend our lives for God's glory. Pastor Louis said, a mindset fixed on the things of the Spirit leads to life and peace, but a mindset on the flesh leads to want and emptiness and ultimately destruction. Living by the power of the Spirit was helping us learn God's plan for our lives was way better than our plan, and that when you give your life away, your world gets larger and larger. As I retired, this verse took on even greater significance and meaning for us, and it offered tremendous context for so much of what we were learning and seemed so counterintuitive. You know, when you unpack verse 24, it's it's an agricultural image, right? The idea of scattering is that when you have something, you're giving it away, you're throwing it out with purpose, right? Like the farmer does seed, and that even though it leaves his hands, 
He's confidently hopeful that it's going to land on good soil, and it's going to return a fruitful crop down the road, ultimately not ending in decrease, but rather in every sense, increasing, returning to him food to eat, extra food maybe to sell, and seed to sow. How counterintuitive is that? You throw it out and you get more back. That doesn't make any sense. This is so starkly contrasted with the idea of being stingy, that you hold something, and that it would be entirely reasonable if you had it, you would be willing to share it. But instead, you restrain and you don't give it. You hold it back seemingly with the idea, it's all yours and you need it all. Yet even when you hold back to take care of your needs, you end up with need, poverty, want. I know Proverbs 11.24 has proven true to Susan and I, and I see others of you lean toward me and nodding, you understand this. What we've learned in this life is when you give your life away, your world gets larger. You experience a joy and peace because God aligns you with His purposes. Remember the scripture that says, he who seeks to save his life will lose it, but the one who's willing to spend his life or give his life is the one who finds life. You know, when you experience life that is fully life, the abundant life, what you get are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Full life, the work of the Holy Spirit in and through you. So you might be wondering how our world was getting larger because we were becoming generous. For Susan and me, some of you know, and Grant mentioned it, that one of the ways our world got larger and larger during this time, and God continues to expand it, is He connected us deeply to the world of global missions. Very interesting uh, for us because we had no family heritage that had any connection to speak of, of global missions. We became very committed to the work of Bible translation. One of my old teammates from the University of Georgia played briefly in the NFL, but he got hurt. He wanted to go to seminary and be a pastor. You'll see a picture of him here on the screen. The common denominator between the pictures you've seen is I'm the big dude. <clears throat> but he fell in love with this amazing young woman, and before he knew it, he wasn't going to be a pastor. They were being called to the mission field. And very early on in that process, they actually felt like they were supposed to go to linguistics school to study to become equipped to translate the Bible. They asked us if we would support them, and we said, of course we'd support you. You're our friends. We love them. But we had no earthly idea what they were getting into. I'm not sure they knew what they were getting into. He grew up right here in Atlanta. They started sending us the things they were learning, and it was blowing our minds. We, we had no earthly idea what was happening. Now, we all know the Bible is God's love letter to those of us who have received it and chosen to follow Him. He tells us very personally. He's a good father, and He loves us, and He gave His only Son so that we could actually have life and know Him and be in right relationship with Him. But also, it's His instructions to those of us who've chosen to follow Him to help as many more people, as many other people as we possibly can get to understand it's His love letter to them too, right? God was teaching us through our friends, there's this thread of Scripture that clearly shows His heart for the lost, and that when all is said and done, 
We, those of us who've chosen to follow Him and put our faith in Jesus, will worship in eternity forever and ever before the throne and the Lamb with people from every tribe and every nation. But most of those people aren't going to look anything like me or most of you. Our friends were helping us understand that like Revelation 5 and Revelation 7 show, that every means every. Every tribe, every nation, every people, every language. They were helping us understand that there's this thread through Scripture, and you'll see a set of Scripture here on the screen that help us understand that God is making sure that we as the church understand that it's our opportunity and privilege to ask Him to give us the nations, and that the nations are coming to the light. That's what you see in Psalm 111 and Isaiah 60 and that the gospel is going to be preached to all nations. The gospel is going to be preached everywhere, like Matthew 24 says. And if you've walked with God any length of time, you understand the great commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. But Matthew 28 is the great commission, and that we're to go and make disciples of all nations. This amazing thread through Scripture, establishing God's heart for the lost, and that He's going to make Himself known among the peoples of the earth. But then Acts 17, and yeah, it looks like it might be out of order, but it's not. I think that, that God wants the weight of this to actually do something, to stop us in our tracks and understand that God determines, like Acts 17 says, the time and place we will live. And it goes on to say the reason for that is so that we would seek Him and find Him. And implicitly what we understand is that once we've found Him, He invites us into helping other people find Him. You see, God was using our friends to open our eyes to so much we didn't know. When they left, they said, we're going to go translate the Bible. How many languages do you think there are? And I said, I don't know, a couple hundred. There's a couple hundred countries. But they helped us understand that there are 7,300 languages on earth. At that point in time, 5,000 of them with little or no access at all to Scripture. Today, praise God, that's about 3,500, but that's still so unacceptable, isn't it? Why should anybody be without access to the gospel in their language? They explained to us in English that we have thousands of variations of the Bible from more than a hundred full English Bible translations, and yet today on earth, only about 700 languages have a full Bible, only about 1,500 a New Testament. So 10% of all the languages on earth with the full counsel of God's Word, 20% with the New Testament, and very few languages having more than one Bible translation. And we sure had never thought much about what it feels like to not have Scripture in our language. And we'd really never appreciated the privilege it is to have God's Word in English, let alone a hundred times over. We learned that hundreds of millions of people who speak thousands of languages, like I referred to, are trapped in the darkness of Bible poverty with little or no access at all to Scripture. 1.2 billion people without the full Bible. We learned that 1,800 languages don't have a single verse of God's Word. You know what people groups say when they get Scripture for the first time in their language? Today, God is one of us. Today, God speaks our language. Today, He's no longer a stranger. 
We had no idea what it was like to go to the field, as they say in the missions world, to visit translation teams doing work in some of the hardest, darkest places on earth. And so we went. We took our kids. We visited Bible translation projects in the Horn of Africa, where we got to see the enormous privilege of the Digo people getting their New Testament. And we watched them dedicate it. But you know, when the Jesus film was shown in their community, those of them who wanted to watch it were attacked and stoned by people nearby who worship in another major world religion. We visited people in Guatemala who came out of the Mayan culture where they used to sacrifice their children before the gospel brought light into that darkness. We visited Southeast Asia nearby where the tsunami hit years ago and more than 200,000 people were killed. Giving our lives away has taken us to all these places and more and connected us to the most amazing leaders allowing us to enjoy just getting a glimpse of what God is doing to make much of Himself among the nations. Why do I share this? Well, because for Susan and me and our kids, it is strong evidence that Proverbs 11:24 is true. When you give your life away, God makes your world bigger. When, when you give your life away, He makes your world more exciting. When you give your life away, you're called into a greater purpose. Along these lines, I want to say that my life since the NFL is way more exciting and way more rewarding than 13 years of pro football. I was with a couple buddies recently who played long careers in the major leagues, and they had gone down to Mexico on a mission trip with an organization they all support. And one of those guys, who many of you will remember as one of our old Braves pitchers, Jaime Garcia, said this, I've won the World Series, and this is better. Friends, when you give your life away, God makes your world get more and more exciting. He makes your world larger and larger. But this is not the only way that Susan and I can testify to this. We will never forget when Pastor Louie and Shelley asked us to be their guests at Passion 2006 and what the Lord has done in our lives since that point in time. We've become deeply involved in Passion Conferences, not to mention we've had the privilege of being a part of starting this church. This has been life-changing for us, the greatest privilege in our lives. But had it not been for God opening our eyes to what He was doing in and through Passion, we would have never gotten to be a part of the Passion World Tour in 2008, where we hosted gatherings in 17 global population centers, cities creating culture and pace of life in their country and their region. This world tour pulled together more than 125,000 college-age young folks for one reason, to lift up the name of Jesus, to become a Jesus generation in places like, how fittingly, Kyiv, Ukraine, Pretoria, South Africa, Kampala, Uganda, Paris, London, Jakarta, Indonesia, just to name a few of them. Over the years, God has done a lot to make our world bigger as we've given our lives away. We've been connected to sports ministry and youth ministry and stewardship ministry, different things that have made our world bigger and bigger. But regardless of what he's done for us, he's also got something for you close to his heart that he wants you to give your life to. We are more convinced than ever he created all of us to serve. I can't encourage you enough to dive in right here with our house. It is the best place in the world to give and to serve. And your life will be changed if you become a door holder here. How awesome that we're heading into Love Atlanta Week. 
The bottom line is when you give your life away, your world gets bigger and more exciting. The world of the generous really does get larger and larger. Now let me shift streams just for a second here. And, you know, we live in a day and a time where, as Susan has said to our kids over the years, our culture and our society is kind of eyeballs in. Everyone is eyeballs in, fixated on ourselves. We're so concerned about how we look, what we're eating, where we're eating, what we're wearing out to eat, who we know, who will see us out eating. It's so important we all understand that we were not created to be glorified, but we all want to matter, don't we? As one of my friends says, we do so much damage to our souls through what he calls self-gaze. But that's the dominant cultural narrative, isn't it? Gaze upon yourself, mold and shape your life to get other people to gaze on you, and then revel in the glory. That's my struggle with so much of social media. When you can command an audience, it's not long before that audience commands you. But what if we instead focused on the one who really is glorious, letting his glory create in us a self-forgetfulness? How about we fix our gaze on Jesus, realizing his affection for us, and let that fulfill our desire to matter, allowing us to focus on others, not ourselves? Sadly, I think a large part and byproduct of all of this is the anxiety and the depression we see in our culture. The more I think about this stuff, and I've talked with other folks about it, these cultural heartaches and headwinds, I think they're associated with us trying to be in control of our lives, keep our lives the way we want them in a nice, neat, perfect little world. As humans, we want life to work the way we want it to. But then eventually we, having lived this way for a while, realize, like the saying goes, that life starts to spiral out of control, and, and we realize we're not in control, and things can get pretty rough. I think that that's driven largely by that hunker-down mentality. Remember, we've already said the one who seeks to save, or I think you could maybe say be in control of their life, is the one who loses it. That kind of life is all about you. It's all about self. You worry so, so much about you. Are you cool enough, connected enough, popular enough, wealthy enough, pretty enough? It's all about you in comparison to others. But when you're giving your life away, you're not focused on yourself. When you're serving others, you're not consumed with you. Think of what Philippians 2 says. We get to put our interests behind others. We get to put other people's interests before ours. When you give your life away, Jesus proves he's enough. The one who gives their life, in my experience, is the one who finds life, peace, purpose, joy. I also think about how this applies to marriage, and when people have marriage challenges nonstop, my experience is that one or both of the spouses is consumed with their own happiness and what he or she wants. But I wonder what would happen in marriage if both spouses realized marriage isn't a 50-50 deal. But like when we were young and early married, someone told us it's a hundred-hundred proposition. Both spouses committed all the time to serve each other always. 100% all in all the time. When I consider all this, I really wonder if a potential antidote for these challenges wouldn't be the life of service, the generous life. Now, I'm not discounting at all when someone needs medical help for anxiety or depression. If you need that help, please get it. 
My family has personally seen the effect of depression with my sister's sudden tragic death last summer. Thank the Lord we live in a country and a time and a place where we have access to the best medical care and counseling. If you need help, please get help. And if you know someone who needs help, please encourage them to get help. But beyond all this, I think it's very important we say out loud, I don't know that I've met too many regretful givers. I haven't met too many people who give and are consistently sad. I really don't know people who are anxious all the time who are generous. And I can't think of anyone who is generous and married and has a spouse who's not willing to work on having a great marriage with them. I can tell you personally, the more Susan and I have given, the more fun we've had in our marriage. The more we've given, the more joy and peace we've had, the better our marriage has been. God will save us from a small life if we ask him to. It's his character. It's who he is. He's big. He's sovereign. He's good. He's in control, and he's always doing more than we can understand. That's what Ephesians 3 tells us. Now, somebody here might be hearing all this and think it's some crazy Christian talk, but I want you to see something that the university our daughter graduated from a few years ago just sent us this past week. You know, it's crazy to me to see how biblical truths work even in secular institutions. The secular doesn't really want to give credit. We know that. But secular institutions know there's something in each of us, the human way, we would probably call it our flesh, that drives us to be self-absorbed. So what do these institutions do to counteract having a selfish student body or a stingy donor base? Well, they help their constituents know that they provide a way to be a part of something bigger than yourself. Friends, God created you to be a part of something bigger than yourself. I want you to understand that giving and generosity is not really about money. It's about our hearts. It's about relationships and experiences. It's about the great adventure God has called us into. It's about what He's doing in and through us for His glory on earth as He redeems the world. The reality is he's bringing the nations to the light. There is a day and a time coming when the gospel will have been preached everywhere. And then the end will come. And people from every tribe and every nation will have found their way before the throne and the Lamb. And we will worship him forever. The Bible translation movement is confident the last Bible translator is alive. God's inviting us all to be a part of what He's doing to make His glory cover the earth the way the waters cover the seas, starting right here in our house. There's no church on earth more committed to seeing the gospel reach the ends of the earth. And God wants to save us from a very small life, all focused on ourselves, if we'll just ask Him to. Regardless of how much we have, regardless of how big or small a check we write, God's inviting us to have our faith stretched by Him. He wants us to trust that He's good, that He'll provide for our needs, that He's got a plan for our lives, and it's always with our best in mind. Here's the deal. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller, but the world of the one who gives their life away, the generous one, their life gets larger and larger. 
It's really up to you which life you'll get and which life you'll live. But for Susan and me, we're going to keep giving because we can't wait to see what the Lord does next in this great adventure He's invited us into. As I close and pray, I really believe there are a couple logical responses to this idea. One is that you may have uh, a need to let go of the things of this world that you're clenching and gripping so tightly that you put stock in and that you want to trust God with everything and leverage your life, your time, your talent, your treasure, everything for His glory. And you just need to let go and say, God, do whatever you want. I trust you. The other might be that you have decided hearing this that you, you want to give your life to Jesus. Like that would be the most generous thing we could do is we could truly trust Jesus and surrender our lives to Him, that we would quit living for ourselves, we would quit trying to be in control of our lives, we would quit thinking that we could actually perform and please God, but rather we would realize God did all the work and He will save us if we just confess to Him we need Him. And so as I pray, I'm going to pray both of those things and would just say to you, do whatever the Holy Spirit is leading. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at passioncitychurch.com or download the Passion Movement app. And again, Thanks for listening to the Passion City Church Podcast.